This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is James Chambers. How are you doing, James? I'm good, Ed. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. We are at Build 2017. Lacking a little bit of proper sleep, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I did like a 14, 16-hour day yesterday. I got up at 6 a.m. to get to bed until probably midnight, so it's been one of those type of things. I hear you. And I travel from, I'm from rural Manitoba, so it's always a a bit of a journey to get out here, sometimes an overnight journey to get out here. So long travel lead and then long days at the conference. I get it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, James. What what do you do? Where do you work? Uh, actually, I'm an independent consultant and I work primarily in the space of ASP.NET Core these days. And I do a lot of work in Azure. And uh, I guess I've got the MVP award a couple of times or so, and recently released my fourth book with uh, good friends of mine, Dave Paquette and Simon Timms on uh, the uh, topic of ASP.NET Core. So David and Simon, you do a lot of work with these guys. Uh, you have a little bit of a, a show that you do as well on Channel Nine. We do, yeah. We're the we call ourselves the ASP.NET Monsters. We've got these little caricatures that are done, anyways. So we're we have this cartoon persona where we go on and we code and pretend to know what we're doing and share what we're learning about ASP.NET Core with other people. And so, yeah, we're we're about a hundred episodes in on Channel Nine and plugging along. Nice, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a great show, uh, especially if you're a .NET developer to tune in and and learn some cool tips and tricks. Uh, I learned a little bit about a uh, cool open source project that you guys had um, called GenFu. So That's right. So uh, it's a data generation library. Uh, it's available on GitHub and via NuGet. And there's, you know, it's for .NET Core. We're working on uh, backporting it to support other frameworks as well. But um, yeah, what it does is you can basically take any type of entity and say, give me a list of that entity. And rather than filling it in with nonsense data, it will actually do its best to intelligently recognize known properties and then using an internal database, fill those with either random values that are generated or generated based off of values in the database. So it gives you realistic looking test data. And sometimes that can make a a strong impression when you've got a first draft of a prototype or you're working with some sample data. So a handy little utility. I've been using it some form of it for over 15 years. And then I finally got poked to make, put it out there a couple of years ago. And, and, uh, Dave and Simon stepped in and that's really where we started collaborating. And, uh, it's kind of, uh, just evolved from there. Awesome. Uh, so we are hanging out at build 2017 We're on the second day. Now there's been just amazing, uh, keynote deliveries, like five hours worth of content just blasted at us, uh, over the last two days, uh, just in the keynotes alone. Uh, so let's highlight a little bit of that. What would have been some of your favorite takeaways uh, from the keynotes? Let's unpack for people. Sure. So one of the things I actually found interesting in the style, and I don't, I don't know if they're just trying to change it up a little bit, but one of the things that I noticed is that they're leading with an implementation of a stack of technologies and then they're unpacking it. So it was really interesting today there. It was, it seemed very consumer-esque to be showing the 
the uh, the remix the the remix product that they've got for Windows Remix to allow you to mm-hmm. put photos and videos and everything together. That and it felt awkward because it was very, as I said, very driven for consumers. But then they came around on the back end of that. And they said, here are all of the ways that we built this and you can have access to all of those APIs. And I guess, you know, we were talking just before we started recording here that the thing that keeps emerging is the theme of AI. Right. Um, so the the uh, video remix, uh, this thing, you, you take video with your camera or multiple cameras even, like you can have your yeah. friends' videos in there and kind of share them all into one space. And then you have this video editor and they even like have an ability to drag and drop like 3D elements in there that are in a, a common 3D format. Yeah, so it does um, object and plane detection, surface detection, and it allows you to bind models that you pull in from the 3D community using all open source models. It does the attribution for you. It builds out, you know, it it does uh, fixed point locking for the objects. So as your video is moving, the object can stay in there or it can track an object through a plane. There were all kinds of really interesting things like inking features that they've got. Mm-hmm. And the really interesting thing about it is they were calling it, they were calling it remix and one of the things that it could do is you could say i'd like to pivot this automated kind of build up of this video that you produced for me and i'd like to instead focus it on this aspect and they they use the the um, example of a particular person and so when you start unpacking what they're doing there it's facial recognition through video frame analysis um there's there's stuff going on in the background there that uh you know as I, as you look at some of this stuff, it, it does, it did, it would have really seemed science fiction a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, when they started off, I was kind of like, why are they showing a video editor? And then you start to realize like, there's some things going on in here that are not trivial tasks to perform. Like, uh, for example, they, they highlighted a, a girl playing soccer. And then when she kicked the ball, they mapped a 3d fireball to the soccer ball and it somehow knew where the ground was when it bounced and changed the animation appropriately. And yeah. And all what, kinds of bizarre stuff. And what was really cool about that too is that that 3D fireball that was modeled by somebody, the presenter had actually found it in a scene that existed like with a volcano and dinosaur. I can't remember the exact scene or whatever. But she was able to drive in and say this was a model that was actually composed using all of these, or this was a scene that was composed using all of these other models and found that model in particular and then pulled that in and, as you said, bound it to an object that was in flight, in motion uh, from within that video clip. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and video is extremely hard to process. Um, You know, there's millions of frames making up a video and... This thing is looking at it, uh, presumably with AI, and figuring out different components of it, like you said, surface detection and, and object detection and stuff is very advanced. Um, and it kind of hit home the um, the point that Microsoft's been trying to make this entire conference, and that is, if you're doing software development, you should really be looking at AI because if you ignore it you're going to be left at the bottom of the pack. Yeah, and in particular, I think that there there's this emergence for, you know, I think there will always be a place for uh, folks who are doing 
line of business applications. Maybe they're doing uh, smaller apps for small businesses, things like that. Even mobile developers who've got very specific use cases that just need to talk to perhaps on-prem hosted services and and whatnot. There's there's gonna there's what we would call now the the standard set of things that you're going to be doing. In most cases, you're going to want to be calling out to something. And the future is kind of becoming this landscape of, do you want to be calling out to the things that you're writing that live on infrastructure that you maintain? Or do you want to use a collection of services that are effectively the patterns that have emerged that are required for next generation applications? And on that exist and live out there in infrastructure that you don't have to manage. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do the operating system pieces. You don't have to write the intelligence into machine learning. These are things now that they're extracting that are they're making available through APIs, SDKs, and toolkits for developers. Yeah, we're we're getting these just toolboxes of many things to develop with now, and and Microsoft's really expanded the cognitive services and AI and machine yeah. learning realm. Uh, way beyond uh, what I, I expected to be coming out uh, by this build. Uh, I've been watching it for quite some time and uh, it's just exponential growth. Project Oxford came out, I think it was just over two years ago, and I did a segment on Microsoft Virtual Academy uh, with Simon Timms actually. And we we got to go through some of those initial pieces, but I, I'm pretty sure there were only like eight endpoints in the in the API at that point in time and what it was capable of doing it just had a handful of categories and tags and whatnot Mm -hmm. a few dozen today they announced that one of the sessions that in the custom vision API which is now it, it goes beyond what is just available in the stock image recognition capabilities it allows you to train it with additional categories and tags that you you devise on your own and provide additional images for a specific training to narrow in on, on a certain type of, of image or object in an image. And they said that there's actually now over 2,000 categories that that these things can be tagged with. The the canonical example that they're using in a lot of the, like they did it in the keynote, they showed it in a couple of the sessions. There's a picture of a guy that's like, he's he's swimming underwater and it's he's mid-stroke. It's like a, a one-third up-look view from under the water. He's wearing goggles. There's bubbles around him. Mm-hmm. You can only see parts of his body. And the service recognizes that this is a guy that's swimming underwater. Wow. And that's what, the, that's what the phrase, it says, like, there's a description that it gives of the photo. And it might be like, skateboarder doing a trick mm-hmm. or man swimming underwater. And it does all these different point evaluations and it tells you things, properties of their face and, pro- and it all comes back with confidence scores. So you can evaluate, you know, um, is this the intention of, of what the image is? And is this the, you know, um, another example uh, is this uh, concept of Lewis, which is the language understanding uh, I can't remember the inf- information or in- interpretation service yeah. or something. I can't remember what the I stands for, but it's Lewis. And what it does is it takes natural language processing. It takes something that somebody would type into a chat bot or a web page or a search or something. And it using NLP determines what the intent of the user is based on some predefined intents that you describe and the training that it goes through that you can do like the, the feedback loop is so small it just kind of redefines what this uh, natural language processing thing means and the machine learning that's behind it 
And it's one of those things where instead of having as a developer to train a computer to understand language and break down utterances and figure out what the key facets are of that language, mm-hmm. the service, they've already raised that up as a pattern. We know that if you're going to be doing natural language processing, these are the things that are going to emerge that right. you're going to require in order to code against it. And so they're they're taking it, these, these things that felt abstract and they're actually wrapping really intelligent tooling around them. And, and I think that's what is is really exciting. Absolutely. Um, you know, they've taken lots of data scientists and put them behind this. I'm not a data scientist. Are you? I am not. Right. We're, sometimes, we're software developers. Sometimes right? I have these dreams and <laughs> in the dreams, people are giving me awards for, no, I'm joking. I'm not a data scientist. I, I do not do that work. So they've taken the the brunt of uh, employing all of those data scientists in, in developing this very difficult uh, machine learning algorithm to do like vision APIs and speech APIs and then handing off the, the you know, easily accessed web API for us to just send data to and benefit from. Exactly. And it was, it was like one whammy after another. I've been watching some of the cognitive stuff you know, from afar and I kind of got what they were doing with the images, but they, you know, they, they do a good walkthrough of the Lewis component Mm -hmm. with the intent. And then they show that they've got the, 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 um, uh, the vision API that they've already been working on. And then they drop the, another bomb and they're saying, oh, and you can index your video as well. And oh, now it's amazing. Yeah, I know. And now it's going through and it's actually determining what's going on in the scene and, and recognizing objects and you can provide additional training. The additional training piece is, uh, amazing. It's something that I want to explore just from, to have better awareness of in depth and interest. And I started a blog post actually after I saw one of the sessions yesterday, mm-hmm. because I'm like, I need to, I'm going to train this vision API to tell the difference between cake and cookies. And then I've got, you know, it's kind of like the, the how old.net and things like that or whatever, or how, how much people look like this is going to be, you're going to be able to upload an image and I'll be able to tell whether or not it's a cake or a cookie. Yeah. Some of the examples they gave were really good with that too. Like uh, one of them was um, they retrained the Vision API with uh, uh, image data from satellites. So you could plug that into Google Earth and have it scan, you know, a region and tell you if it's under development or if it's new development and things like that. Right. And then using the history of those image and it, images to understand the the changes in the in the in the landscape. And when you think out towards either um, a private or public enterprise that is trying to understand better municipal or regional state, provincial governments, wherever you live in the world, who are trying to understand land use and the some of the examples they gave around deforestation and rates of, of sprawl, urban sprawl and things like that, that is just something that before would have been very, very difficult to to kind of uh, put together on your own. But with this toolkit, they showed a project that they built that, I mean, literally it was like they were just kind of scrolling through things. It was pulling out those parcels of land and saying, here's how it has evolved. And here are the ones that are most likely to be identified as positives in the in answering the question, what has become urbanized? And so just that analysis over those images, it's just, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, like you said earlier, this is um, this is something that was absolute science fiction just a few years ago, and to watch it evolve like at an event like Build is just 
absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I go, I'll go back to pre-build and the, the pre-day workshop I was in on the, the deep dive workshop on the, um, it was called the cognitive or the AI Mm -hmm. immersion workshop. And I sat in on, there's a number of them that were held and I sat in on the cognitive, uh, services, uh, and the bot framework one. So in the course of a single day working through the lab material, you get a starting point, but basically you build out a console app that allows you to point it at a directory of images. You do an ingest process where you run those through the vision API and you extract all the tags and categories. You then take that build JSON objects, stuff those into a document DB. You wire up a service called Azure search against mm -hmm. the document DB and index that entire catalog of images that you've pulled in. And it does a, you basically get to say which ones are sortable and, and which ones can be filtered and all those kinds of things. And then uh, using a, the bot framework, you allow people to put an input and, and uh, backing that is the Lewis service. So that oh, you've cool. got, now you've got this intent recognition that's extracting facets and understanding when people want to perform a search. So we wrote a bot that has these Lewis intents that are understood and we're using that service. And then we go and look at the Azure uh, search endpoint mm -hmm. to pull back the images that match and then get the list of images. It was, uh, it, I was giggling the whole time because it just <laughs> felt like, uh, you know, something that you would you know, like, yeah, the, the whole science fiction kind of thing. So, yeah, we're, we're really watching a major change happen right now. And it's one of those call to actions for developers, like learn it or be antiquated. Like, I mean, this is the real deal. This is happening today. Absolutely. I, the, another really important thing that Satya did during his keynote was he said that we've also got a responsibility to use this, to use these services mm -hmm. in a way that benefits everyone. And by far, I know we've still got one more day here to go, but by far the most jaw dropping, jarring thing that I have seen, like it, uh, it totally made me tear up. You know, I've got people in my life who are affected by Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. There is a developer in the Microsoft research uh, team who has uh, built a device. Now she's been working, I think it sounds like it was just been over a year. Her name is Haiyan Zhang. And she has built a device called the Emma, which has a, it's a bracelet effectively that has a series of motors that kind of counteracts the responses of the nervous system mm -hmm. to allow someone to steady their hand. Now, if you know anyone with Parkinson's disease, who's living with that disease, it is something that is, you know, um, it, it's a degenerative disease and the, the, the shaking and the trembling becomes harder and harder to control. There are some drugs that kind of help mute some of those symptoms, but this is, they, they there's a girl who's in her, I believe she's in her twenties. Uh, her name is Emma and the device is named after her. And at the start of the video, it, there was a, her trying to, there's some, some video of her trying to draw a box or mm -hmm. write her name. And she was almost in tears trying to do it. And then by going through these iterative processes of using, and, and to what extent, I don't know, but I, I think we were talking, we, we believe that there's some amount of machine learning that was involved yeah. in the process. And uh, certainly, you know, as a device that has telemetry on it and can, can collect data and they can train it and learn from the, the feedback that they're getting uh, from the device as well. The end result was this bracelet that steadied her hand. And she, for the first time in years, was drawing straight lines and writing her name. And uh, it was just, it was very moving. And it was one of those really, really obvious ways that 
it, as a developer, you just go, yeah, like we need to be doing this. This is, this is, doesn't have to be a dystopian future. This technology can be human. Yeah. I feel like Microsoft's really done a good job supporting that effort over the last few years, especially since Satya joined as CEO. Um, you see things like even at last year's build, uh, the pair of glasses that helped uh, the, the colorblind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, actually, there was a, a, a software developer that works at Microsoft who has uh, vision impairment, and the glasses are able to tell him through the, the cognitive APIs what's going on in his surroundings. Right, exactly. Right. It was very impressive. So, so we're seeing a lot of those type of stories emerge, um, and it's, it's really refreshing to see. Uh, and it's in parts of the keynote as well where... Uh, Satya talks about, you know, bringing users on board uh, the, the computing ecosystem in general uh, that haven't been able to experience it before by providing new ways to interact, you know, new user interactions and new user interfaces that just haven't existed before. Yeah. And some of the devices that are coming out to support that, some of the um, software initiatives, some of the hardware initiatives and the IoT pieces. And you start coupling that with uh, s shorter feedback loops. I think it's it's really about the shorter feedback loop mm -hmm. and how machine learning is improving. And by putting those abstractions in place that we were talking about before, it's really enabling developers this opportunity that it, it just was so far out of reach before. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, you, you actually do some work in... Um, the humanitarian efforts. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the project that you work on. Yeah, I do. So uh, Richard Campbell, uh, Tony Surma, um, uh, a few others are involved in this um, uh, project that is called the Humanitarian Toolbox. And one of the what their goal is is to allow is to basically take on the responsibility in a professional way to build out software that can be used by. Um, by nonprofit organizations and even for-profit organizations, uh, but basically to use the software for free and to remove the repeated effort that happens over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine that uh, one example might be in disaster preparedness. Wherever you go in the world, there's different types of disasters, be it tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes. Uh, even something like a house fire is something that you can be prepared for. And organizations like the American Red Cross have these efforts that they've got all over the world in order to help people be prepared for the unfortunate event of a house fire. Mm -hmm. And so there's a product that they've got inside this HT toolbox uh, or HT box that ha is called Already. And so I've been, I've had the the pleasure and privilege of working with over a hundred contributors around the world on Excellent. building. Yeah, it's amazing. There's thousands of pull requests and reviews that have happened and issues that have been filed. We've had volunteer testers, volunteer designers, volunteer apps, uh, like mobile app developers. We have had people uh, reaching out to us and then forming their own little communities. We've got a developer in the UK, Steve Gordon, who's just done this phenomenal job of creating a community within the company that he works at. They've had several codathons now where they've actually gone and knocked out dozens of pull requests and just made these incredible contributions to move this project along. And this is a real project. Like, I mean, the, the American Red Cross is using this in prod. So yeah. the, the difference though, the, the approach that the humanitarian toolbox is taking is that they don't want to create the 
um, that free software that lives out there and, you know, you go in, uh, it's abandonware, right? You, yeah. How many people have gone and helped out a charity for a weekend to build a website or something? And then you got to get back to your day job and it's just left and you, it's, you've done a good thing and we shouldn't discount that at all. But the reality is, is that you've given them technical debt and you've walked away from it. Yeah. And so HT box is trying to solve that problem and saying, do you want, let's do, let's solve the problem one time using proper architecture and modern tools that are, that's exciting for people to build and learn on mm -hmm. and then actually make that available for free to charities. Richard Campbell always says that free software is like a free puppy. <laughs> right? You get a puppy and maybe the puppy's free, but then how are you going to maintain it? And you know, there's, it's, it's going to grow and it needs to eat. And then it also makes messes. And if nobody's around to help take care of the puppy, then then the puppy eh, doesn't last very long. So software is much the same way. And you need to nurture it and, and, and feed it and organize it and get it to the right places and put it in the care of the right people. And that's what they're trying to do. So it's been an exciting ride and, and helping um, a really noble cause with the American Red Cross and then hopefully other organizations down the road as well. Yeah, and it, it seems like there's a little bit of a side benefit too where uh, if you're a new developer or you want to see best practices or you just want to learn, uh, there's an open source project out there that's being led by some really amazing developers. I mean, you named some people that, that I'd love to go see what kind of code they're writing and, and uh, what kind of architecture they're using and best practices are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bill Wagner is another one of the people that are, that's involved in the project. I mean, here you've got somebody who works inside of language development at Microsoft. We've mm -hmm. got, when we've done the codeathons before, we've had people from the ASP.NET core team actually come and sit in the codeathon with us and help us through things, answering problems and questions. We've got direct contacts into people at Azure. If something doesn't work in the deployment pipeline, we've got really good resources to lean on and learn from. And so we're, we're trying to pattern that out throughout the rest of the project and even throughout other projects in the HT box. Um, the, I, I said codeathon, I'm saying codeathon, not hackathon, mm -hmm. because it's very important that we, we feel it's very important that we, send the clear message out there that when you, you know, when you go and submit a feature on this project, you're going to write a unit test. Like mm -hmm. you're going to, you're going to, we're doing this the yeah. right way. There's a CI CD pipeline. Your pull request will be built by an automated system and it will tell us whether or not the tests are passing. And we're going to look at your code and we will ask for you to make changes. So we're, we treat this like a very serious, you know, enterprise, um, uh, but agile project that is, uh, you know, tries to follow some of the best practices that are out there today. Yeah. So if, uh, would it be safe to say if you're a junior dev and you want to learn how to, you know, break over into being a more senior developer, uh, this is a way to do it and help people at the same time. Yeah, it, that's totally the the thing. And, you know, I had always kind of looked at it in my volunteer efforts before uh, working with the HT box, you kind of go out and you, you, you go to some other event and you're donating your time, but you're not donating your skill necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so if you go out and help uh, at the soup kitchen, something needs to be done. We need people out there. And I'm not saying stop doing that. If you do that already, then I, I mean, I applaud you and I encourage you to keep doing that. Take your kids, like make it happen. It's, it's got to be done. But for me you know, as a software developer, my toolkit, my experience, I've got 20 years now doing this professionally. And this is, this is where I shine. This is, this is what I can do and how I can contribute. And to find an organization like this that I can work with to deliver that into the hands of noteworthy and um, sincere and emphatic 
fans of the software who serve communities around the world, that that's just a, an incredible opportunity. It's, it's amazing work. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes so people can go find that information and jump on the open source project and, and learn more about it. That'd be great. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll put some links in there for the ASP.net monsters as well. So if uh, people like to go check out the show and uh, see what you guys are up to, they can do that as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Hit us at ASP.netmonsters.com. Check us out on channel nine. There's lots of stuff out there. We, we blog and we do videos and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Speaking of channel nine, uh, this show will kick off our syndication on channel nine. So eat sleep code will be available on channel nine. Uh, starting right as this airs. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for giving me your time today. I know it's been another extremely busy day here at Build. Uh, we're both, like you said, running on just hours of sleep, if that much. And uh, so I appreciate you coming out and, and talking to me in person here. Thanks for having me, Ed. Thanks a lot.